I'm going to read first from Psalm 68. And verse um, 4 down to 6. Then I'm going to go to Romans. Let me find it. Romans 8, verse 9 to 12. Oh, no, to 11. And then I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 4 from 1 to 7. From Psalm 68, if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him, a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun's scorched land. Then I am going to go to Romans. You, however, are controlled not by sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living... If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus... Raise Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And I am going to keep reading until I get to the very, to verse 17. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave against to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and God co-heirs with him, with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, Galatians. Let me just go to that. Okay, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery unto the basic principles of the world. But when the time has fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons of God, sent, God sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has m made you also an heir. Okay, now I'm going to kind of start first with a dream that I had. Um, about three years ago, I woke up and I have had this dream where any mother here would know this story. Like, you know, when your baby's grown up and you're, yeah, it's all grown up. And then you have that sudden desire to have another baby, you know, like, oh, it'd be nice to have another baby. Oh, and you get all clucky and stuff, you know. And, and I woke up and I was holding a baby. And the, someone had given me a baby and I was holding it. And I had that feeling of like, oh, I have a baby. Oh, I'm, you know, and I'm in my mind, I was like, oh, I have a baby. Oh, and I was so excited because you know that feeling when they give you your baby when it's born and you're kind of like, just like, of course, you're just tired. <laughs> but you're going, you have this new baby and you're so excited because, you know, you're just 
yeah, mothers would know this. Um, and I had that dream, and I was holding a baby, and I was, and then I got another one given to me. And then when I woke up, I'm saying, God, what are you saying? Do you want me to have to adopt children? Am I going to get babies? You know, how's this going to happen? And then, um, and I woke up from that dream, and it was the feeling that lingered with me was that absolute joy of being a mom, of having a baby. Like, oh. I have a baby, you know, that, that absolute excitement. And I woke up from the dream and I was going, oh, and this was a few years before Te Ahi was born. And so when, when she was born, it was like, I have a baby. Oh, I have a baby. You know? and, and when you're a grandmother, it's double the, 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 the you know, when you're a grandparent, it's like double the, the absolute. Because um, um, for anybody who's a grandparent, when you have a grandchild, it's like, you've just been drugged into joy, <laughs> like, you know, it's just absolute joy, just having a grandchild, it's just a constant joy to know that I have a grandchild, I don't have to worry about changing their nappy, I have a grandchild that I can absolutely just, you know, and give them back to their parents, you know, <laughs> and and so I woke from that dream, and I, I was before she was born, and I thought, oh, maybe it's about her coming, you know, that God was telling me that I was, that we, I was getting my grandchildren. But I knew it was something else. And so for the last several, several weeks, I've been um, kind of been thinking about what is the Lord, what was the Lord trying to say to me out of that dream? And then this, when I knew I was coming up, um, to preach again, I've been thinking with the Lord with regards to what it is that he was actually wanting me to say. And he actually reminded me of the dream. And what he wanted me to talk about was that scripture out of, that we read from Psalms, that he puts the lonely in families. The story of the Bible begins with a man and a woman that God created, and out of that came the first family. All of humanity is a family. And, every, and the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end is a story of a family. And it's a family line, and it's a family line that actually became tribes and became nations. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you can actually trace certain nations that were born out of Noah's children, that were born out of Ishmael's children, that were born out of... And if you, go, if you look at the story of Israel, there are tribes that began with a man and a woman who had 12 sons. And so it's a family. And when I was thinking about this, I know that the Lord was wanting me to talk about the fact that the church also is a family. And with a family comes quite a lot of very interesting things. We have family dramas like every other family there is. If you don't have dramas, you don't live in a normal family. <laughs> Your family is no, not normal if you don't have family dramas. Family dramas come with family. But we know one thing. Because we share a DNA and we share a common parent somewhere in history. <laughs> we, we actually know we don't give up on each other when we're family. You, don't, you know, you can have disagreements. It doesn't mean it's wrong to actually think that, uh, that, that church is supposed to be all these people that live fluffily, happily, floating around in clouds and going, we love Jesus together. We are together, you know. And it's wrong to assume that that's what it is. Because a lot of people have left churches because they have gotten into disagreement with people and think that's no longer my family because they just don't get me. They don't get me. They don't get my anointing or my calling or my gifting. And they are just, they don't get me. And people leave. In a Samoan culture, you do not leave your house. If you have a family gathering, you do not leave without saying goodbye to your relatives. It is absolutely the most rudest thing that you do as a Samoan. If you leave your family gathering without saying goodbye to your family, they'll go, she's gone. She didn't ever say goodbye. She didn't tell us she was leaving. And they will get very, very offended if you don't say goodbye. Um, and so one of the things that, that, that I know that the Lord wants me to say is that, Church to him as a family. But how then 
does a family grow? And I, I, I knew that, you know, okay, the family grows by when babies are born. Like we were talking, you know, when we were talking about the, the kids who, who had 21st. There was a lot of pregnant women around the church that year. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was cute. Um, and, and so the, the way that a family grows naturally is when babies are born. Babies are born into the kingdom through evangelism, and when evangelists go out and lead people to the Lord, babies are born into the kingdom. And then the function of a family, which is a church, is to raise the babies. We raise the babies together. You know, we look after the babies when they come. We raise them. We fight for them. We protect them. We feed them. We look after them, and we smack them. <laughs> That's illegal now, but <laughs> I know that's illegal, but, um, but we tell them off. We tell them off when they misbehave because good parents discipline their children, and you tell them the rules, and every family has rules. I don't know why people come to the church and expect the church to not have rules. A good family has rules, but they are unspoken a lot of the time. And because, you know, everybody knows the rules. You don't jump on the furniture. You do not da 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 da, da. You do not go to the pantry and eat everything when you're hungry, you know, because there's a few more people in the house. You know, there are these rules that, that the kids grow up knowing. So every family has a code of communication with each other that they know. And the church is the same. When we've been together for so long, there are just some things we just know. And when children are born, they have to be taught when those things are. And healthy children grow up in healthy families. They are fathered well, they are mothered well, and they grow up knowing and becoming who they really are by allowing the parents, you know, if your kids are forming, you know, because when kids become teenagers, they get attitudes. When they're like, my parents are so uncool. They don't know how to use their phones most of the time. They cannot work out the DVD player when the DVD player was working. Um, and, you know, when the, in my time, it was the video player. And, you know, <laughs> when it first comes in, you don't know how to program it, and all the kids knew how to do it. And you're just, uh, so now it's worse because, you know, phones are worse than a DVD player. And, um, and, but, the raising of healthy families require healthy relationships. When God raised up a family, he brought Jesus to the world to break the curse. And, what, and we know the curse is death, but there is also the curse that God put on mankind in Genesis. The women are to look at their husband and, you know, and, and like, oh, oh, you know, and the men are to be so preoccupied with their jobs. Like, it's just about the job. The work, the work, the work, the work, the work. I got to go to work, you know. And men are really good now at using work to, to run away. <laughs> run away from that woman. You know, run away. <laughs> run away, you know. And, and, and God, but, and, and mothers also are the ones that look after the children. If you look at Paul's letters, all of them, he does something totally the opposite. He tells the husband to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. And he tells the wife to submit to your husband and respect your husband. And he tells the father to um, do not discourage your children <laughs> so that they lose faith. So, you know, even though you tell them off, do not be mean to your children. Um, and so you can see that Paul reverses. He is asking the men to turn to their wives, and he is asking the wife to turn to the husband, not in the wrong way of actually needing him, but in an honor and respect of the fact that he is the head of the house. When a family is healthy, the children feel really, really secure. And when they grow up, they grow up then knowing who they are. The other way the family grows is by adoption. 
Now, I know the story because there is something, because I was watching, because um, I, because uh, Bethel is a church that is in the U.S., but a few years ago, the Lord gave me a prophetic word through Frohley, and the prophetic word was that I needed to pay attention to Bill Johnson. And so it became a thing that I actually know. It's an instruction from the Lord for me. And so I actually follow their church a bit in terms of a structure, in terms of how they move, what they do. Um, and and their, their oldest son adopted a child. And he's in his 40s. And I'm like, that's really weird. Because there was something about it that I knew I needed to notice. They adopted another child this year. And I'm thinking, oh, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. Why? Uh, because all their kids have grown up. And I, and I knew the Lord was beginning to talk to me about this one thing, adoption. I have a younger brother. He's the baby of our family. Um, he lives in central Auckland now with his family. When I was 19, my mom had, um, that's a long family story, but I'll keep it really short. My mom had a foster uncle, which was her mom's half-brother. Oh, no, um, no, it was her mom's stepson. And so he came to my mom, and his son was with a woman, but she had a child. And she didn't want to keep the child. And so they came to our village because he wanted, my uncle, wanted to actually talk to my mom. So she came, he came and talked to my mom, and I've never seen him before in my life. And so my mom explained who he was, and then he asked her a favor. He says, will you be willing to take the baby? And, of course, her, my dad said, well, think about it. Just give us some time. And then, but my, my, ma, my dad said to my mom, but don't tell the girls. There was four of us. He says, don't tell the girls about the baby. And so my mom went and talked to my grandmother to see what her counsel would be. And my grandmother said, it's, it's a good thing. And then, then my mom, because she knew my dad was about to say no, came to me and said, my, you know, my uncle that came, this is why he came. And then my eyes went, they've got a baby that they want to give us, but your dad doesn't want you guys to know about the baby. And so me and my sisters walked down the road, because there were about four houses down from us, walked down the road, and we looked at the baby and going, you are coming home with us. <laughs> and so we bring the baby home, and then uh, my dad walked into the room, and we were with the baby. And it was like, <laughs> and he moved in with us from that day on, and he became our baby brother. And so I understand this idea of adoption. When we were sinners, the whole planet Earth is orphaned, separated from God from, because of sin. Because we are separated from God, Jesus came to sign the adoption papers for us. That with his blood, we are born back into a family and the Lord wants the church to be the healthiest family on earth. Because when the Lord, when, during the week, I've been thinking about the whole thing of why abortion? Why is it being legalized and why has it become a solution? What is it, what, there's something totally, completely wrong with that when women are legalized to be murderers of unborn children. There is something totally and completely inhumane about that. And now, there are now, you know, the sick and the weak are being given the legal rights to have them killed off because of what, the medical solution to it is that. And I'm thinking, what is it that the value of human life has been reduced to this? that there has to be legal solutions to actually manage a population of people because we no longer have the solution of how to look after people. And I'm talking to the Lord about this, and he says, because the church has lost its voice. Because the church has lost its voice, because the church no longer than sh can show the world what the value of human life really is about.
The value of human life is the fact that you and I were created by God from the beginning in his heart before we came to the earth with worth. Your spirit was put into your mother's womb with worth. God knew from the beginning that he loved you when you were with him. He loved you in your mother's womb, and he loves you now. And that is what the, world, the church is supposed to prophesy to the world. This is what value of the human life looks like, and this is what, what it's worth. It's worth the Son of God dying for mankind, and it makes you legal and me. And then when God raises up us up with destiny and purpose to testify to the world, this is what a whole human being looks like. When you are healed, delivered, and set free, this is what it's supposed to look like. And then we know what it is to love unconditionally because we do not have to feel insecure or inferior or completely threatened by other people. Because your worth and my worth does not come from the opinion of others. It comes from only one thing, that God knows you and paid a price for you and me. That's it. When we actually go back to that and we know we live from the foundation of the fact that our worth was, was paid for with the Son of God who is himself God. When we know that, that a God in all religions, there is no, none of that. There was only in Christianity where God was willing to pay the price for mankind. It's only in Christianity. Every other religion does not have that. When God came down, became man, and paid a price for you and me that our worth is made. You know, when, when, when I, and this is why children are valuable to God. You and me are valuable to him. Because we are a testimony to the world of what it is when God moves into humanity. But the church has lost its voice because the church has lost, um, lost sight of the fact that human value is not about numbers. Value, human value is about transforming family lines to break curses off and remove things that have destroyed the human soul. And we are the only ones that have the key. We're the only ones that have the key. But we have to be living, breathing testimony of what Jesus has done. If we walk around with issues and destroying other people with our issues, we're not really doing justice to the name of Jesus. When Jesus moves into us, he convicts us on a daily basis when we say things, think things, um, even when we're out of step, he will convict us. When we live in conviction to the Holy Spirit, it's not condemn condemnation because we are supposed to put ourselves right with God on a daily basis in our walk with him. Because he searches our spirit when he came to live in us. And he convicts us on a daily basis. Sometimes we walk around thinking, oh, no. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you put it right and it finishes. When you are constantly condemning yourself, you are putting yourself on the throne and saying, my, my problems are too big for God to solve. And we make his name a mockery. When something is done with Jesus, it is done. Whether, you know, we get tempted all the time. We get tempted to hate people. When we have family issues, you know, family dramas, we actually know I'm not going to talk to my sister for a few months. I'm just not going to talk to her. She's just really, 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 because if we talk, it's not going to be good. It's just not going to be good this month. It's just not going to work out. And so we, we separate, but we don't actually give up on each other. We don't. We come together, and we're all good. Now, me and my sister, we have disagreements all the time, but we don't talk about it, because if we talk about it, it will become a family crisis. And then trauma will happen, and then it just gets worse. And then we know, we just forget about it. We're, we know what we're about. We know what we're disagreeing about. Even though we never talked about it, we know what we're, talk, we're disagreeing about. And it's all going to come right later. We'll just leave it for now. We're just too angry now to talk about it, and we're going to say things we're going to regret. And then, you know, with some words, we avoid having to apologize about anything. So we actually would go, we won't talk about it. Because it means that I have to apologize, and I'm not doing that. And so we're just going to fix this by not talking to each other. And then we come together, we're fine, as if nothing ever happened. And the kids look at us and go, <laughs> it was 
funny because I'm here brought me and my sister in. And then my, my kids are going, Mom, you need to talk to your sister. You know, you, you two need to fix this. I'm like, there's nothing wrong. We're fine. And so we have this family, family gathering and we're talking away and we're laughing and we're joking. And they look at us like, what? And we're like, hey, told you, nothing's wrong. <laughs> and, and, and there are family codes. Also, family share DNA. With the whole process of adoption, it is a legal process. There's a lot of paperwork involved. There's a lot of process that needs to go through. But as the ones who choose which baby they're going to adopt are the parents. We know this. We, we, we know that in God there is order. There's order to the family. There's order to the church. When people come through our door, we are a family already. And we know in the Spirit of God whether the ones that are coming are part of our family or not because there will be a witness. And the other thing, since we were you know, praying for the kids today, it's the fact that we protect. As a family, there is a code of protection that we have with each other. We protect each, the kids, we protect the elderly. And so when we are a family, we are actually quite protective of each other. And you know, sometimes when you enter a family space, you know how tight they are. And there are, are things that you just feel. Like, okay, they're a pretty tight family. Better not, you know, get too tacky in here. <laughs> you, know, you have to you know how to watch your step. The church is the same. When people come in, we know that our job is to actually know that this is our family, this is our home, and we know how to protect it. One of the things the Lord taught me when my kids were little is to how to protect them in the spirit. Now, that's a hard thing to say because usually trying to explain that is really difficult. But what that simply means is in my heart, I carry my children in such a way that I protect them with my life. And that protection then is kind of like an a invisible um thing that surrounds them. And wherever my kids go, one of the things that I always do with the Lord is that I have conversations with him about their safety. Now, all of you have been given promises by God with regards to your kids. When my kids are in danger, I go back to one thing, that God gave me a promise about their safety. And I go to the Lord and I present that to him and you said, you promised me this. Therefore, nothing has the right to harass them. Nothing. I am, there is God, there is the church, and then there is the parents who are the highest authority of a child's life on earth. Until they come of age when they turn 21. <laughs> I was going to say 18, but I was like, 21 is good. <laughs> um, and when you pray and you know what you're standing on as being the authority on earth with regards to your children, you stand knowing that God will hear and God will respond. One of the things about prayers that people sometimes forget is the fact that when you pray, you anticipate a response from heaven. You don't just pray vaguely into the sky and just think, oh, we prayed, we're done, amen, let's go home, have, go to bed. Because <laughs> some of our prayer meetings go to midnight. <laughs> you know, um, but when I pray, I anticipate that heaven will respond. That's what faith is. You anticipate that God has heard your prayers and he would move heaven and earth to put in place the protection around your children that nothing has a right to harass them. They can be really, really annoying teenagers. 
can stay in their room 24-7. They don't want to talk to you. They only come out to eat and look in the fridge and eat everything that's in the fridge, you know, and then you don't get to see them. But you know when they're in trouble and sometimes they don't want to talk to you. They can be in the pit of hell because they're depressed or anything, but they won't talk to you. They will not tell you what's wrong. So you go to God with the document and you say, Lord, this is what you said. I know they're having a rough time. I know they're actually struggling. But I stand in your word that nothing is going to harass them. We sometimes anticipate that our children will live happily ever after, even as teenagers, that they will have no problems. And they're going to just blossom. They have to have things come against them to strengthen their inner being to rise. If children don't get opposition, that they have to rise to match, to actually strengthen their spirit, we actually are raising blubbering, soft children. <laughs> I had a different picture in my head, but yeah. Um, and the thing about it is we are supposed to be raising warriors for the kingdom. And warriors, the measure of their spirit is the measure of opposition they will get. Remember that when you have your children. Some of them will get harassed so bad, and you're going, why this child? And why all these things? It's because God knows what their spirit is made of. And so he sends the kind of opposition, and you pray that God will, the protection of God will stay around them to do one thing, that while God is allowing things to test them, the enemy has no right to come in and harass them unnecessarily. And you pray your kids through. Pray them through. Pray them through. Do not give up on them because they're so annoying and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And you have a lot of those. <laughs> you have a lot of those. I have four boys. When one became a teenager, he changed overnight. Like my nice, beautiful little boy that I, that I carried. And I, you know, he was so cute. Like the most beautiful baby. And then overnight, he just changed. He was grumpy. He swore a lot. He just, attitude was bad. And I'm like, his dad's family don't swear. We don't swear. All of his family, no one swears. And why is it ha happening to this child? Who is this human being? And who brought him to my house? You know, it's like, and it just got worse. Because, you know, he was turning 13, 14, 15, and I'm like, oh, it's going to, oh, oh. And he would, one minute he's fine, the next minute he's just mad as hell. And I'm like, what the heck happened? And overnight, and for years, we were like, we are so bad as parents, we must have failed him somewhere. We must have left him at home too, too often alone. This is what he's become. We are just horrible parents. And then the next one came along, and I'm thinking, oh, we are really, really bad parents now. You know, that's it. We're just done. You know, we're just. <laughs> and, and then the next one, and then the next one. And then I'm thinking, oh, oh, I don't think we're bad parents. I think it's just them. <laughs> I, think, I think this has got nothing to do with us. It just seems to be contagious, you know. <laughs> and then I realized, I'm thinking, oh, this is what happens when they become teenagers. <laughs> this is what it looks like. And I'm like, oh, I better tell all the other parents, you're not a bad parent. They're just teenagers. It's normal. <laughs> and I'm like, and like, and if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're patient long enough, They'll come right. <laughs> Don't scream, you know. <laughs> and, you know you can, and so we're parents just helping each other try to go, you'll be fine. I've seen this before. <laughs> you'll be fine. You know, they'll, they'll come out of it. And your parents are looking at you going, when? <laughs> you know? And you're like, eventually. <laughs> but the thing is, when they actually come through the teenage years, when you're appearance and you are consistent and you try not to lose it, which is very difficult, I know. And it's the consistency that brings them through. The kingdom of heaven is constant. It is consistent and the word of God comes all the time. His presence is ever present with us. 
That's why, you know, we have taught our parents to just pray hard. <laughs> pray hard and hold on. You know? <laughs> and, and you pray your children through. Because when they come through, you'll look at them and go, ah, they still might be, still be swearing when they come to their 20. <laughs> but, but they are formed as human beings. And as one thing that taught has, the Lord said to me to this, is this, is the church has forgotten how powerful love is. The church has forgotten how powerful love is. When you love somebody, when you love your children, no matter how bad they get and how annoying. And, and it's one thing that Frody always said to me. You know, when they're rat bags and they're teenagers and they won't talk to you, just say hello. And they come through the door. And when they leave, say goodbye and wish them a good day. And it took everything in me to hold on and to say, and my kids come in the door and say, hello, son, how are you? How was your day? And it became natural because I'm, I'm not a people person. People are just not my thing. And so, and, and so I'm like, this is going to be challenging. Because I'm like, I wasn't like that when I was a teenager, so why are they like that, you know? Why? <laughs> and I'm like, they should have been, they should have seen me as a teenager. I was... <laughs> and then I'm like, and so I practice that. One of the things about family is we give each other advice. You know, when, when we come into the to house of God, when babies are born, the house is put together by the Lord to raise the babies and also to actually give counsel to each other. When you are struggling with something, and it won't go away. The Bible also says, confess to one another that the enemy will not find a foothold so that you will be free. Because there are some things that just won't leave you unless you confess it to somebody. You don't just go and stand in the front of a church and it's like, hello, I have something to confess. Can you please be quiet? <laughs> you find the right person to talk to. And then you ask, you tell them what it is, and then you ask them to pray for you. The thing that we have learned in this house is to fight for each other, but also to carry each other in our best times and in our worst times. We have seen the best of each other and the worst of each other. We have said some things to each other that, as some ones, we were not supposed to say because then, we'll, you know. And, and we have also always put it right. Good family don't give up on each other because there is a long walk. And the long walk is about, you can, we, can, we can't do following Jesus alone. We're supposed to do it in a family. Because we pray for each other. And this house is the whole thing of family by family. We pray for each other's kids. We pray for each other's families. We pray for each other's marriages, which I'm glad I don't have to anymore. <laughs> um, and, but we pray for each other in the good times and in the bad. We pray families through. We pray each other through things. Because one of the best things that could ever happen to you is to know that when you're in the worst time of your life, someone is praying for you. When you are in the darkest hours of your life, one of the greatest things that will bring you encouragement is that you know out there someone is praying for you. Like my kids, they don't come here, apart from my son who is actually away today with my baby and Monique and Ruben. But in spite of the fact that they're not here, we carry them in prayer as a house. And we trust each other with that. Because we don't give up on kids until they are living in the calling that God has ordained for them. And we keep fighting until we see that happen. It's the nature of this house because um, families share DNA. And therefore, every bo the body of Christ is a body. It's a body. There's some hands somewhere. There's feet. There's eyeballs. There's hair. And, you know, women have an issue with having to always have conversations about their hair. 
It's one of the things Dave has to live with. You know, honey, you're not with my hair. <laughs> and he'll look at me like, here we go. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I, I'm thinking that I should do this with my hair. <laughs> you know, men are like, <laughs> if, if I say this, I'm in trouble. If I say this, I'm in trouble. So I'm just going to, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, honey, whatever you want to do, you know, just, 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 just. <laughs> but it's a body. And if you look at the body of Christ, instead of criticizing, you say to yourself, it's a body. I wonder what their job is. Every church in the kingdom of God plays a part in the kingdom. There are churches who are highly evangelical and evangelistic in their approach because there's the feet. The feet carries the good news, and they bring babies into the kingdom. And, and, the rest, and you, if you go to a different church, you sit there, and you kind of then go, say to God, they're anointed to do certain things. They don't, and, and when you understand that, you do not criticize the body of Christ. You go, you pray for them, and we pray for each other. Why? Because they're doing what you're not anointed to do. And the thing that is ripping the church apart is every, people keep forgetting that the church is a body. And every part plays a role in actually nurturing souls for the kingdom. But they do it not in the way that we're called to do it. We are strong as a house. One of the greatest things that sits in this house is worship and prayer. Doesn't mean we don't raise babies. And we ask for babies to come. But that's our core strength. And because those are our core strengths, all the people that God is going to bring is going to have that DNA. So when they get adopted into our family, they will have the same DNA as what we have. And then our job is to nurture that because we have been taught to know how to nurture intercessors and prophetic people and worshipers. That way when, 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 when we go somewhere and we sit in the church and we feel really uncomfortable, it's because we don't belong there. They have a different DNA and they're called to do different things, to reach the community in a different way. And we support them by praying, but also just be, being really, really, you know, cheering them on and going, I'm so glad that Brian Tamaki is, uh, is reaching men with, with um, gang backgrounds and he's bringing families in and they're res being restored and new families are being born into the kingdom and, and, and their uh, cycles are being broken off their family lines. I'm so glad somebody's doing that. I'm so, so glad. I don't care what the media thinks of him. It's not our concern, our concern what the media thinks of him. Only that we pray for somebody because he's doing something we can't do because we're not anointed to do it. To remove the thing of actually always needing to compare ourselves to somebody else. We cannot keep comparing Southside to another church. Their DNA is different. Our DNA is a certain way and we embrace our DNA. We thrive even and say, you can criticize what we do, but... This is what we're called to do and be at peace with it so that we actually move into it, possess the ground that we can give and begin to open our eyes to see which church needs prayer, which pastor is being harassed by hell and, and no one's praying for them and we can take them and adopt them in the spirit and say, Lord, we choose to fight for them. It's like, you know, my, my son has a girlfriend. She has the endometriosis thing that women suffer from. And her one is just off the chart. She lives with morphine every day of her life. And when she came last night, I hugged her. I looked into her eyes, and she is so in pain, even though she has morph she's just been given morphine. And I look at her, and I go home, and I say, Lord, no one should live like that. This is a child whose parents are believers. No one should have to live like that. You brought her to me. Therefore, if this is my fight, then let it be. But that thing has no right to harass her. It has no right. She's a woman. Therefore, women should not be cursed because their bodies were designed to nurture life. It's not right. And I go to God and I say to him, you brought her to me for a reason. She is in my family for a reason. I cannot sit here and live my life and watch that child suffer every day of her life. It's not right. 
when God brings things to us that are difficult, we do not say it's too difficult. I give it to someone else. No, we enter the fight and we say, no, this is my fight. You brought it to me. And because you brought it to me, you know you've anointed me that I can take this thing down with the name of Jesus. Because there is authority in the name of Jesus that's been given to the church to set people free. And it's our job. When people come to us, we are supposed to love them with the heart of Jesus. And we see the pain in their souls and we go to God and say, no, you brought her to me. Therefore, this is an encounter of you wanting to reach her for a reason. Therefore, when you brought her to me, it's my fight. It's my fight. And I refuse, even if I die, if it's my last breath, I refuse to sit here and watch that child suffer. Because you promised you promised Psalm 91 that when you, my children will be safe and this child is now counted as part of my household. Therefore, that anointing that you put on me and that you've chosen to use in my family and I to protect my children must be extended to her. Because her parents have been praying for her all her life because she was born so premature that they thought she was going to die with her brother. Because there are some kids who's just, the, the, the enemies hates them so much that it goes after them with a vengeance. And when you look at them, you go, why is it that hell hates that child so much? Because there's something about them that threatens them. When the demonic is threatened by something, it harasses it so much. And you and the church gives up on people. No. Our job is to pray people through into wholeness. To see family lines delivered and set free so that we go into the world and say, this is what a healthy family looks like. The family has been attacked so much. It's been destroyed now. Do you know why the Jewish people are harassed so much? Because on earth there is only one nation that was created by God in its very core worldview from scratch. God called Abraham and gave him a promise that you will be a blessing to the nations. Because it is the only one landmark that you, if you look across, if you're prophetic and you look across the planet, there is one thing standing up declaring the name of God to the world. It's the Jewish nation. Because God chose to put his name there. And that's why the enemy works really, really hard to remove the reality of God from humanity. And the Jewish nation is the literal testimony of the existence of God. You, you look at the West. I go to university. It is more now a most common thing that God no longer exists. It is accepted now outside of the four walls of the church. God no longer exists. So we are actually having this opposition against us. But we've been asked by the Lord that you take on the fight, but at the same time, we protect and look after each other. And we adopt. Sometimes you will run into people. And you know somehow that God has put them in your heart and you cannot let them go. You may never see them again. But you'll remember their name. There are times when I, I'm, I'm with God and somebody's name would come back. And I've never seen, I haven't seen them for years. But when I met them, God put them in my heart. We adopt people in the spirit so that we can pray for them because it's our DNA. This whole thing of adoption is also the thing that when you go to Psalm 139, if you have rejection, does it ever have to fight that thing? When you actually ask the Lord to come and to mark you with the spirit of adoption, that thing has enough power to heal your rejection.
because we have been adopted into a family. Because, you know, I look across this room, I'm going, only God can hold us together. <laughs> I mean, there's Bogdan from Poland, there's me from Samoa, there's Frohly from, from um, Indonesia, and there's Robert from Okatahuna. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then the man from Ngapui, and <laughs> Kathleen, you know, and Tainui. You know, we make the joke about, God, shall we do reconciliation between you guys? <laughs> You know, we do these, these family jokes, but we, we are so diverse that only God can knit us together and make us a family. And when we are a family, we love the fact that you're not like me. I'm just extremely grateful you're not like me. <laughs> I think the world only needs just one of me. <laughs> um, and... And we celebrate the diversity, and we welcome the diversity, and we want to see everyone that comes into this house thrive, every family restored, every child fought for, and no one gets left abandoned in the spirit. No one gets abandoned in the spirit when we adopt each other, when we fight for each other, when we stand in the spirit together. We are a family. God knitted us together. And we are going to move forward together as a family. And we pray for new babies to come. And that the Lord will bring babies for us to adopt. I'm so excited about that. I'm like, yeah. Um, and the babies sometimes will bite you <laughs> and kick you. <laughs> and spit, you know, when they gurgle and on you. Um, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Um, but that's what I felt the Lord wanted me to say, to talk about the value and the worth of human life that is supposed to be protected and nurtured by families. That's what the church is. Because this, this thing that I am really, really... Because, you know, the whole, adult, uh, the whole abortion thing, I'm like, ah, yeah, it's everywhere now. It's, yeah. Until the Lord actually began to tell me it's about the worth of human life. You, you know, even you fight to actually retain the worth of human life. Because that's why my son suffered. He did not suffer unnecessarily. He suffered to remind humanity that this is your worth. And we are supposed to testify and remind the world of that. That's the message of the church. To remind the world of the value of human life. And we fight for it in prayer. And we have to deal in ourselves with the things that make us feel unworthy. When we have issues with our own value before God, we have to deal with that thing. Because in doing so, we actually dishonor our adoption. We're a family. We've been adopted together. 